0: Oh, yeah. A lot more than Booba.
1: Scott we've went on a journey yeah that was uh, the land of adult anime yeah that was a the land of adult anime is
0: (laughs) something but yeah we we went on quite a journey we dipped our toe in we dipped our toe in
1: and it was uh, traumatizing yeah it well yeah traumatizing thought provoking it's We'll get, we'll get to all of it, yeah. I, I, I'm so sure. Well, welcome back to King of the Show. We're back with Perfect Blue Part 2. We've just returned from our viewing party. I'm Chris. I'm Scott. If this is your first time joining us, you're probably joining us on the wrong episode. So go back and listen to Perfect Blue Part 1, then go watch the movie, then come back and listen to this. But if you're like, you know what, fuck you and fuck everyone else, I'm going to listen to this one because I feel like it. Welcome to King of the Shill. This is a conversation podcast, conversational podcast, where Scott and I will try to shill each other on things that we like. And we are up back from part two of our watch party of Perfect Blue, which in part one we kind of went over why some of the thing, why some, why some of the reasons you think that I would this would be a really good way to continue breaking me into the uh, anime sort of genre. And subgenres of it that I have never seen before. So, why don't we go uh, over some high-level details about Perfect Blue? Give us a, a little bit of a refresher about the the film itself. Yeah. So, Perfect Blue. I knew
0: that this was a good onboarding point for Chris. This is a movie directed by Satoshi Kon, who is a, a Japanese director. It's an animated movie. This is anime. We're in the anime arc. I'm trying to convince Chris that he is, in fact, a dirty anime fan. And he just simply (laughs) hasn't accepted it yet. He's living in denial. We're in part two of that journey. We did Yakuza, and now we're doing Perfect Blue. So Perfect Blue is a movie from 1997. Uh, It's got a pretty interesting history of its own production. Basically, they told Sasashi Kong. Hey, we don't have the money to do a live action adaptation of this novel. Perfect Blue. Uh, we'd like you to do an original animation. And he came back and said, "Okay, but I want to change everything about it." So yeah. they made him go with. Uh, it had to be a movie about an idol and a stalker and kind of a horror murder movie kind of thing. But otherwise, he was given free reign, and we ended up with Perfect Blue. So Satoshi Kon is known for making movies that. Uh, feature a theme of the blurring of the line between fantasy and reality and he's known for very thought-provoking imagery and uh, interesting storylines that make you question the nature of the things you're watching. He's a very well-respected director. We talked a little bit last time about how Darren Aronofsky, a director from the US that people may know who did like Black uh, Swan and things like that, and even, this is not a Darren Aronofsky film, but the film uh, Inception, the yeah. go into the dreams for Nolan uh, is I mean, I'm not going to accuse them of anything, but it's it's pretty similar to a older Satoshi Kon uh, movie. So uh-huh. uh, he's he's a very well-respected director and sure. Right. Perfect Blue is ultimately a movie about. A woman, our protagonist, Mima, who is in. The transitionary phase from being a pop idol basically just a type of pop singer in japan right. to an actress mm-hmm. and things around her are going terribly wrong to the tune of murder stalking uh she's being gaslit she has yeah
1: it, it's very much a it, it's very much a psychological thriller but it's it de- I think for 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 me, it definitely leans heavier into the the horror aspect of some of those themes more so than like just your average sort of crime thriller or yeah. something like that. You because know, it, the movie, it's very Hitchcocky. In oh, my yeah. Opinion. I, I think that's
0: I think that's more apt maybe than we even know. I can definitely see a lot of Hitchcock in there because I think a lot of the horror of it is less about. The real external factors of what's happening to Mima and a lot of the horror is her own traumatizing experiences and her losing her grasp on
1: reality. Yeah, definitely. Right. right. Which we'll we'll get to that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure because the, those themes are throughout this and it's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know.
0: I'm not a historian of the anime yeah. industry, but my no. impression is that this film helped catapult Satoshi Kon to stardom. So, he had done a lot of animation work before that. I'm pretty sure this was his directorial debut. He went on to direct stu- some of my other favorite movies Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, Paprika. He's prolific, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, this movie is kind of a statement artistically. And I think it is also a statement about. His own industry. And we talked a lot about that last time, kind of the cultural context of the film, because some of it might not be immediately obvious to a Western audience. Like, it's not that you can't understand it, but some
1: little nuances here and there might not make perfect sense. Yeah, because it is like it really is. And I don't you know, we we've talked we talked to we made comments about this while watching the film and and we'll talk more a little bit about this later in the, sh- in the episode, I'm sure, but how much of an indictment on that fan culture it is by him. I think, um, you know, part of that and part of the reasons why some of those things might not be so ob- obvious to a Western audience is that it's not very often, right. That you see a bunch of grown ass men talking about, these grown women pretty much cosplaying as children in like a quasi-sexual way right that's not a very common thing to hear people talking about in a public sector and this film presents that as such but it's not really immediately obvious to you unless you kind of get some of the ways that they alter their names and how they like like for example how they um the 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 sort of cutesy nicknaming of them, right? Yeah, and like that was something that I was just not going to pick up on, and didn't really understand the gravity of what they were saying and why they were saying it until you paused and you were like, "This is what's up." So yeah, because
0: there there's a distinction between what's shown. Like there's there's so the first thing I think we should talk about is the set, the overall theme of uh the blurring of the line between fantasy and reality because I think the fans yeah. in the movie. Are guilty of this too it's not it's not just our protagonist that can't discern fantasy from reality it's the fans it's our antagonists it's us as the viewers right but Mm -hmm. to your point right there's there is some parts where it's like okay they're obviously i mean the outfits no matter what culture you're from probably when they get on stage as cham you're like okay this is quite a a fashion
1: statement right for like a 20 something
0: for a 20 something woman to wear
1: but yeah i mean it, it like the imagine sexy halloween costume at spirit halloween and that's pretty much yeah, what they're, it is they're
0: pink frilly tutus basically yeah right mm-hmm. and right. they um it, it's one thing to see that but it's another to understand it like they're speaking with the, the speaking about them like The guy is selling bootleg merchandise and he's like, well, this is the one where Ray, Ray, I can't remember what his pet name is. It's probably Ray Cheen. I don't know. But like Ray Cheen, which like adding Cheen to the end of her name is so like, yeah, it's infantile and like it implies a familiarity that this rando fan clearly does not have with her. Well, this is the one where she screwed up her line because the guy was making trouble. So this one, it makes this bootleg incredibly rare. Right, and to know that
1: level of detail, right, is like, I mean, I I get being a fan, right, but it's that context of you're this much of a fan of grown women cosplaying as children. Yeah,
0: it's. I you mean, because it's. I don't. I don't think it's only an indictment of the idol culture. I think it's to to catapult into our. Uh, we'll start with the fans, right, and how yeah, they've put right. Mima into this situation. Um. People being able to, unable to separate themselves from fantasy and reality for anything that they like, whether it be anime, idols, video games, whatever, like you and I are very guilty of being very harsh to certain products, no. right? But <laughs> this is usually yeah. in the privacy of our private lives and in conversation well, yeah. with friends, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. There are people right. that go on Twitter in the modern age and and send death threats to like, uh, studio employees, yeah, right. Of like right. video mm-hmm. games and like movies and things like that. They send death threats. They, uh, try and do cancel campaigns. There's all this wild stuff that like an average adult, someone that like has a mortgage to pay, right. And it's, it, it essentially is going to step back and be like, you're way too invested in this dude.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, it's one thing to criticize the art, Right. It's another thing to attack the artist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, even with the criticism of the art, right? Like there, there's a point where it's like, yeah, I really dislike the new star Wars films, but it doesn't impact my daily life.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not
0: traumatized by the new film series. Yeah.
1: You know, people, you're not, you're not sitting in your room. Well, you probably do do this, but (laughs) not about star Wars. You're not sitting in your room, all dark, with star Wars posters all over the place where Ray star Wars from the movie star Wars is talking to you, telling you, yes, tell them how much you hate my story. Yeah, line, exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You're the only one that understands me. <laughs> yeah. You're the only one that understands me. I should have been this way all along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should have been Obi-Wan Kenobi's
0: daughter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I yeah, should have been Ray
1: Kenobi instead. I'm Ray Mysterio the third. Yeah. But I mean,
0: that's, I think it's it's just as true now as it was then. And this is from ninety seven, like it, uh, a movie where a person literally says the line. What is the Internet? Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just as true now where like people because of what they put into their fandom. Right. Like, again, one of our antagonists is named me mania. He's a maniac for Mima. Right. Like, yep. and yeah, he, uh, he is a maniac, but people mm-hmm. put all they're all into this fandom. and it it basically pigeonholes real people into these suffocating situations. Like Mima goes from being a pop idol to an actress and she's getting faxes from unknown peoples that just has the word traitor over and over and over. Someone sends her a letter bomb because she's given up on being a, a pop idol she feels trapped. She feels underwater. The metaphor of her in the bath. She feels yeah. damaged. She feels traumatized by this hole that people have put her in, and she's expected to stay in as this object. She's she constantly questions who is Mima? Who am I? Who are you? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. She's losing a, her
1: grasp on what it is to be her. So, uh, and especially too, because and this is it's a theme that's that's represented over and over again, right? By sort of you know, she's constantly looking at different representations of herself as yeah. though they are strange people that she's never seen before. Right. And that's something that like, it's, it was really interesting to me. One, one thing that, that it's it, in the beginning of the movie that I, that I really liked was after they make the announcement at the show, right. In the opening scene that she's leaving and everything, and she's obviously making this change to her, the next step of her career, As an actress, she's in her room and she's got a cham poster on her wall and she just rolls it up and she's just like, you know, thanks for all the work over the years. But now it's time to move on. And she just, you know, puts it in in her bucket. Right. And it's like there's almost this thing of she's treating it as though she herself is already separated from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like it's less about and I think this is really interesting heading further into the movie, too, about like. It establishes the boundary immediately that, like, look, Mima is not really holding on to this in any way. She's ready for the next step in her career. She does not want to be this pop idol anymore. She's not looking back on Sham with sentimental feelings. She goes home. The first thing she does is roll up the poster she has of the band on the wall and sticks it away. Right. And then as you start to pull the thread on that and the movie continues, you start to notice that, like, she actually like does start treating it that way but for very different reasons yeah which i think is interesting Mm -hmm. and she questions her
0: own decisions right like you said in the beginning she's like yep time to move on done with this thanks for all the work and then later later when talking about mima's dream she's like she's more like me than me even though she's the exact opposite of previous decisions she's made
1: right yeah yeah and i really liked sort of a lot of those um like the like thematic little Easter eggs that they put around there because you can you can really find like a lot to grab onto with that central theme of you know who am I and blurring the lines between reality and not really being able to tell what's real and what's fake like it's very clearly like the central theme of the movie and I think it works really well with that in making it sort of weave in and out of everything else that unfolds throughout the story yeah
0: so very cool we have that we have we've
1: already started to touch on it like Mima
0: is starting to lose her grip on reality. Right. Like she's yeah. she's being gaslit by this. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of a better word. I think that's what it is. But she's being gaslit by this website someone has yeah. made called Mima's room that has been revealing intimate thoughts she's supposedly having. And they have photos of her that
1: should be very hard to obtain and 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 this was like one of my this is one of my favorite parts of, from watching the film. The film is I I called it out to you when we were watching it. Like the way that they present the realization because the the scene is like, well Mima and her manager uh, Yumi, uh, Rumi, um, but yeah Rumi. So thank you R- Rumi. Mima and her manager Rumi are. Um, Uh, like, this was the thing that you said, like, what is the internet? So, like, they're setting up a computer for Mima because she's never used the internet, and she gets this letter that's, like, I'm always looking into Mima's room, which is, like, you know, that alone, right? Like, the way that 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 feels whenever she reads it, the character of of the Mima in the film when she reads it treats it as, like, oh, cool, what's that? I got to find out what Mima's room is, and it's kind of, like, yeah, but re- come on, read that again. Yeah, like, you know I'm what I mean? Always like, looking
0: into Mima's room. Like, yeah, there, there's. I mean, there's three different kinds of weight put on that, right? There's the physical threat of I'm literally looking into your room right now, right? Yeah, there's, right. There's the metaphysical threat of like I'm lo- I'm always looking at this blog, and then there's the the threat of. Okay, but this blog has nothing to do with you, right? Like what yeah. is Mima's room?
1: How the hell do people keep finding this stuff? Right. And yeah, and she so like when she when they finally log on and she notices it, like the the way that the film presents it to you, you come to this realization alongside the Mima, character yeah. and and it's like she's flashing back to the previous days events that she's reading in real time. And these were events that you yourself just saw. Right. As Mm -hmm. the viewer, her doing like going to the store and picking up a specific brand of milk and specifically calling out like I walked off of the train with my left foot today. I usually step off with my right foot forward. And it's just like these are like it is legitimately the type of diary that somebody would write for themselves. But Mima is not writing it at all. And it is 100 percent accurate. So whenever they're showing like these flashback scenes when you are coming to this realization at the same time as her you are suddenly frantically scanning the scene for any sort of new clue yeah because you're just like where are they yeah right like like you said
0: that earlier innocuous i'm picking up milk i'm done with work for the day now it's there are eyes on me all the time and you instinctively you want to find those eyes like where the hell did this person get this information it could have been any of you And there's several shots throughout the film that reinforce this, like whether overtly or not, there's the cameraman that literally apparently did his wait outside her agency all day to talk to her and take pictures of her. But then there's at one point very quickly, there's a guy on the train that's reading a magazine about her and he like quickly shifts his vision away from her when she looks at him.
1: Right. Like, right. She's she's not safe anywhere she goes. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's really sort of like, you know, it's, It serves a couple purposes, right? Because it's nice that that, that that's there to serve the purpose of like a smokescreen for the viewer, right? Because it's, it's setting the stakes of, you know, this person is not safe anywhere she goes because everybody is a potential threat in this type of way. And it's because of the fact that she is a former pop idol and of the way that, you know, people in that industry are treated, right? So it's all this just this central theme working together for itself right it's all like very harmonious and tight within that and it really makes it easy to sort of get into it right and sort of like steep yourself into that feeling of like panic and anxiety and and this is why I say it's very Hitchcockian for me is like you can go back and watch Hitchcock and be like Vertigo right Mm -hmm. Vertigo is Something that is achieved well because of a specific sort of, you know, artistic license that Hitchcock had and an understanding for what he knew would really strike people empathetically to get them to be afraid in the way that he wanted them to be. And this is one of those things for me that like, you know, it's Hitchcockian in that you just you are unaware of the real threat, whereas it just feels so dangerous, right? It makes yeah. it that much easier to empathize with,
0: with yeah, the character. It's which a I great, think I like. Yeah, it's a great red herring. Like Vertigo is a great example. Even something like I, I wonder. I, I'm speculating because obviously this is way before both of our times. But even something like, uh, um, I I keep wanting to call it Motel. Help me. Uh, oh, oh, Psycho. Uh, psycho. Thank you. Um. Even Psycho, right? Like, that's it's been memed to death at this point. It's been referenced in 8 million things. But audiences watching that at the time had to have been thinking like, oh, this, this granny's gone crazy, right? And then at right. the end, you find out that Norman is mentally disturbed and he believes himself to be his mother. And you've been... Basically fed it's different times, but you've been fed this red red herring this whole time because it is so alien to you, this idea. So everything right. is a threat. When is Granny gonna snap? And you have the same thing here. It, it is essentially a red herring, but if everybody is a threat, it becomes hard to focus on what is happening at a at a micro level and finding the clues of what's really going on because it could be anything, right? Like me yeah. Mania is very obviously creepily in a lot of shots, but right yeah I mean random guy on the train's leering at you so
1: yeah exactly I and 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 two, like to touch on me mania a bit Mm -hmm. because I think that I think that um I think that there's a lot a lot to to think about with how he's represented right so me mania like at the beginning of the movie me mania is 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 like the guy that is shown to be you know stalking her in some ways right like he um is you pointed out to me at the beginning of the movie um when they're performing in that public show, when they're announcing that that she's retiring. um He's like a he's like a volunteer security guard as part of the fan club. Yeah. Right. Because they don't actually have security guards. It's like fan club volunteers. Right. Yeah. Which like, who do you want protecting you? You're crazed, obsessed fans. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. I'm sure I'm sure if you fucking called up. Uh, if if you called up Pokemane right now and they were like, "Hey, instead of your regular security detail, oh yeah, we're gonna send your top Twitch sub, we're gonna send your top Twitch donor to protect you." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like,
0: well, I <laughs> mean, no. t- I mean too. Like, it's not even they don't even look like security guards. They're wearing like, I think they're called Gakadons, like the old school uh like school uniforms like, they used to wear. Yeah. And yeah. he has this armband on. That, like, I I don't yeah. think we ever see the writing, but those are usually for like associated with like clubs and stuff like that so it's like he's he's decked out in this total weirdo garb and he's kneeling down i don't know if i'm jumping but he's kneeling down in front of her when he's supposed to be on guard duty like holding his hand up like she's a doll in his hand
1: like so you know it's no for anybody that that's listened to the show before they will not be strangers to we we both go big for framing right and there's this and it right away at the beginning of the film it shows him and to to let, let me not understate this right If you've not seen the film yet and you're just here for the spoils, he looks creepy as fuck. They like he looks and and, it's one of the things that I appreciate about, to be honest with you, and this is going off topic a little bit, but we'll circle back to this. It's one of the things that I appreciate the most about the film is like it is it's transparent with what it wants you to notice. Mm Right. Right. And that in and of itself plays really well to sort of work with the psychological horror aspect and discerning what's real and what's not, because you subconsciously realize that when when he wants you to notice something, you notice it. And so you seat into this comfortable feeling of, well, I can trust my senses. I can trust the things that I see because me mania is obviously the stalker right he's got this creepy gray eye that's just hanging out from uh the rest of his hair that's hanging over the other half of his face his teeth are all fucked up right he looks like a like a creep he
0: is unbelievably fucking hideous to the point it it is (laughs) it's obvious that you were supposed to notice it he looks like el gigante from resident evil 4 his (laughs) eyes are way too far apart specifically one eye is too far apart of the other that is kind of in the correct position yeah he has pallid skin his teeth are fucked up like it's it, it like you said it's we have to not understate this you are supposed to notice how fucking hideous this person is physically
1: right yeah and he's doing this creepy thing where he's looking out of his weird eye and he's holding, he's like kneeling on the ground and where Mima is at center stage, he's holding his hand up and like winking his other eye and like looking at it through the perspective as though she is like a, a like a ballerina doll and she's like dancing in his hand. Right. And yeah. it's just, again, right. It's chilling because it's, it's a really great frame of representation and it puts that chill up your spine of like, oh man, this is so fucking creepy. Right. Yeah. But it's that other thing of like, you are supposed to see like this guy is not right. <laughs> yes. Well, so.
0: it, it's and it's it's not even something that can be indicted is like maybe this is another cultural thing. Like, I'm sure people do this with uh, I, in fact, I know people do this with stuff in Western culture, too. But he's doing. What other fans do just in this cinematic way. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's dancing on his hand and it's a great it's great framing. It's great blocking. It's a good shot. Right. But he's just putting context to what all these other people in the stadium are doing too. Mima is dancing for me. Mima belongs to me. She belongs to us diffusing responsibility but she is a thing that belongs to us right
1: yeah so yeah and that's and really because really when whenever it shows that perspective of him looking at her dancing in the palm of his hand as it were it shuts like it, it does go he goes the extra effort to 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 represent that by like the sound dulls out right yep. and he is mm-hmm. just he, there is no crowd there is no music there is only mima and she is mine yes right? exactly yeah. Uh he's great. And he's and again, like leaning into the um leaning into the, you know, when they want you to notice, you notice A- anytime he's blending in, right, he it's this really great thing of he's obviously there. Yeah. And yet he is also simultaneously blending in, right? Yeah. And I think that too, and maybe I'm reaching a little bit here. So stop me, so stop me if I sound a little bit too fart huffy, but for me, it goes a little bit further into that thing of like tricking the viewer into being comfortable with what they see, right? it's it's not it's not enough to have a creepy guy obviously standing in the crowd, right? It's way different for me when you know that it's the creepy guy. And yet he's so well blending into everybody else well, around him.
0: This is this is something that I think is noticeable in animation for most people. So, Chris, you have watched older episodes of Scooby-Doo, right? Oh, yeah. Have you gotten Love to Scooby-Doo. that did, when you were watching it when you were younger? Did you get to that point where you knew what was going to animate on screen because it was drawn differently? Like there's the oh, yeah. background and yeah. then there's the thing that's obviously going to move because it's drawn oh, yeah, differently. Course. Right. It's that's what's happening with me mania right yeah he's drawn like a background character he loses definition because he's blending right. in but it's i mean this is part of the genius of making him so fucking hideous you can't
1: avoid seeing him he's right? got such a distinguished distinguishable look yeah right right and i th- I think that really like people are going to internalize that however they want but for me like i just i haven't it really goes that extra step into like i said like it just feels like you can be comfortable with all of these horrific things that are going yeah. on. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it feels as though like you're, it's not calling out like, Hey, do you see the guy? But yeah. it, you, it all, well, it, it is yeah, at the same there's, time. You there's know? not
0: necessarily a musical sting and a close up and a refocus exactly. and all this kind of right. stuff. It's just, he's just there.
1: And I think, and I, and I think that, that, um, you know, that's, it's part of the package of the, uh, psychological horror themes that are all throughout this film, you know, like, again, I think it's one thing to, to, to notice it when it's obvious. I think it's another thing to notice it when it's not supposed to be.
0: It's also, I think supposed to raise the question of, is he really there or not? Because. Yeah. uh, To get back to, so me mania has lost his grip on reality. So as Rumi. we'll get to in a second, but Mima, right. She's hallucinating all these other things. We have these great scenes of, her giving basically a confession uh, where you're the uh, person is tricked for a minute into thinking that Mima is not actually an actress on Double Bind, the TV show and all this weird stuff's happening. She's invented it to protect herself from a very real rape. And this is just her coping. And she's actually been murdering all the people in the show. There's this great yeah. fake out. Right. So similarly, when Mania is in fo- is not in focus. And nobody else seems to be reacting to him. It's just Mima. It's supposed to raise a question in your mind to think of, is she is she inventing this guy? This guy that is so abjectly fucking hideous as to not be believable. Right. Right. Like there's it's dissonant from the other people in the show. Right. Like he yeah. he he is so noticeable
1: that you have to wonder, is this a, is this a figment of her imagination? Is she imagining it? Right. Well, and like you said before, like his name, his name is also a moving part of that mechanic because, you know, it's almost like you begin to question like, well, he's named me mania and he's referred to as me mania quite often after a certain point in the film. Is he just a manifestation of a mani, an affliction of mania on Mima herself, right? Yeah. It, those are those are like this is what I really like about this kind of stuff. Whenever it gives you license to, to sort of uh, theory craft, the thing, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, think about it for yourself. What are you getting out of this? You know, yeah. it's similar to me to the, to, like, I really like modern art. I know a lot of people don't like modern art. Like when, when I say modern art, I mean, people like Marth, Mark Rothko, Jackson Pollock, stuff like that. Everybody's got, everybody's got their own opinion on it. But for me, what I like the most about that kind of stuff is that it it makes me question what am I getting out of this? When I look at this, how does it make me feel? What am I thinking about? This is very very similar to me in that in that it like it makes me like wonder like how does this make me feel when it's represented that way? Like what is he trying to represent with this? And I I really like like asking myself those questions yeah. when when you see that kind of stuff because I really do think and you see this in a lot of the landscape shots in this film too. And this is part of blending me mania into the crowd. Right. And having him be a working mechanic of like, is this even real? Is that, you know, less in a lot of cases is very much more. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't have to show all of the definition of the detail of the, of every single building on a landscape shot. So much as you are able to, represent the general idea of what you want to show and well enough and artistically enough to where you are allowing the audience to fill in the gaps of everything else, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to show the wear and tear on a building because people can surmise that for themselves. This is what the one of the interesting things about animation versus real life cinematography mm-hmm. is for me is that it requires the viewer to fill in a lot of those contextual blanks yeah. for themselves. Mm-hmm. This is not just A visual thing for me in Perfect Blue, but it is very much a thematic thing for me where they are where he's like almost achieving that same thing, but just with something as simple as the name of a character. You know, when you start to pull the pieces in together and you start to internalize how you feel about something, you start to question what am I like? What am I getting out of this? Like, how am I feeling about this? Like, is he even real? Yeah. It's just really it's really neat. You know,
0: oh, this is the cool thing about psychological horror. And I, I want to talk about yeah. Rumi real quick because we'll move on to that topic as a whole. Yeah. This movie does a great job of really messing with your head, yeah. honestly. Like, definitely. Um, so quickly talking about Rumi, because uh, we'll come back to her, but her losing her grip on her reality, too. Like we had there's some there's so many great moments with her where the movie I'll call it metaphor I I I think it's metaphor but basically they represent Rumi as two halves of a whole her her Rumi the person and her Mima personality so spoilers last chance the ultimate killer in the story is Rumi Uh, this is Mima's manager she's a middle-aged woman that used to be a pop idol she's kind of a fallen star I guess is what you would call it right and, and she looks strangely like Mima. Yeah, she, <laughs> she is also drawn uh this sounds really mean but i, I feel like it's intentional she's drawn yeah, yeah. as a contrast to mima where mima is this idealized yeah. woman figure rumi is overweight right she's ha- she's gotten on in years her face isn't
1: quite as perfectly she's, she's, round yeah, she, and, in 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 the scope of mima is the definition of a perfect pop idol yeah if you d- it, it, like just If you didn't know that Rumi was and is now older and out of the game, her character or her, um, her design very much evokes that for me. Yeah. Right. I think it's obvious.
0: The movie contrasts the two by having this ultra idealized version of Mima that has this ethereal glow, this almost ghost-like visage, right? She's always perfectly lit by lights that aren't there. She speaks with this kind of filter on her voice that makes it seem like she's gone through post-processing right and she's uh she's she's like very floaty yeah she's like a fairy she can float here and there right and it contrasts rumi and mima's visions so mima sees this figure also in her own hallucinations even when rumi's not there but there's yeah. this figure of mima their metaphor represents uh it, it represents her disconnect from reality and metaphor it's not r- just roomy in a address we see that in reflection a few times it's mima it's the it's the mima's room mima chasing you even though we know it's roomy like sweating right. like a pig and like running as fast as you yeah. can it's yeah right m- it's mima like hop skipping uh hop skipping jumping like around the room in this like way that should not be humanly possible Right. They,
1: that's one of the things for me that I think is that I keep going back to the word mania for very obvious reasons, but they really represent the the concept of mania well, that it's not just, you know, it's not just a hallucination with that stuff, right? Like she might, like Mima in certain cases might be seeing me mania places. She might be seeing that ultra perfect hyper realized version of herself, Right. The, the roomy version of herself. Right. She might be seeing that places and hallucinating it. But right. But that scene, when it all comes together and roomies chasing her for me, I was like, this is a full on delusion. Yes, this is a full on delusion. This is beyond hallucination. This is and, and that's like. I love when movies have tipping points. I love when. You hit a point in a film. And for me, uh, like a, a very obvious example is David Fincher 7, mm-hmm. whenever the killer reveals himself. That is the tipping point, right? You don't think that like you think that like you're you're reaching your you have this expectation, you think it's coming, you think it's coming, and then boom, right? And that for me, right, that was the tipping point where I was just like, this is so fucking crazy yeah <laughs> you know it's awesome it's just represented in such a cool way and i think i think we definitely want to i definitely want to talk about like that scene in general because i think that that is really yeah you know well let's let's start lack there of and, a better term the money shot right yeah
0: let's let's start there and work backwards then so the one of the biggest components of the movie this is this is satoshi Kon in a nutshell if we watch yeah. Millennium actress. If we watch Paprika, if we watch anything he's done, even Magnetic Rose, one of his uh, shorts that he did before his directorial debut, yeah, they're all like this. They have visuals that are not only the protagonists losing their grip on what is actually happening; it is making the viewer question what is actually happening. And I think calling it a delusion instead of a hallucination is a great way of looking at it. So the the Absolute climax of the film, uh, Mima has escaped from memania who attacks her after they wrap filming of Double Bind, which is uh, the show she's been working on. And Rumi takes her back
1: to, quote, Mima's room. And she flat out says it too, yeah. right? Like they're, they're in the car and, and it would be like, so it would be like if I were driving Scott home after he had like a long workout at the gym or something, I was like, it's all right. I know you're tired. I'm taking you back to Scott's house. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? You'd be like,
0: and it's, what? But it's, not, it's not said necessarily in a way as to draw attention to, unless you're like right. paying it's attention. It's very casual. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, and Mima awakes, She may have fallen asleep during the car ride or whatever, but she she awakes in a perfect copy of her room. In fact, a little too perfect because earlier in the film, again, another symbol, all of her she kept neon tetra fish. They have all died except for two, right? Eerie symbolism for the movie. And the neon tetras in the room are still alive. And she works out that she is not in her room. She is in Rumi's apartment, which is
1: Mima's room air quotes Rumi and the poster still right it is it is Mima's room had Mima never left Cham yes because which is is the Mima's room yeah right which is for Rumi
0: Mima never leaving Cham is Mima so Rumi comes back into frame and she's wearing a red dress and it is not immediately clear that it is Rumi because she is in the ideal we're going to call this uh we're going to call this fake mima just for the sake of us being yeah, able to we'll explain it, it fake right mima, so she comes right. back on screen as fake mima she has her ethereal glow the the ghostly figure mima has been chasing in and out is revealed yeah. to be Rumi, or at least the delusion of her right right and we see in actually in profile that we finally see Rumi back in a reflection and it is Rumi. And you can see her in her normal state. It's just Rumi, the character in the dress. Right. But Mima is looking at the delusion at fake Mima and she's speaking to fake Mima. And that's what Rumi and uh, sorry, that's what Mima and we see, right. This
1: this hyper fictionalized version. And this is like, um, like those, that mirror shot. Right. Mm -hmm. And and like, that's what you're referring to. Right. Like the, yeah. So like, this is one of the things that stick that stuck out to me whenever we talked about there are some things that I think are just unachievable with modern like filmmaking techniques. Right. Yeah. I think something like, you know, CGI in the realm of the Avengers, right. Stuff like this over or even modern horror films for that, for, you know, for that matter, like insidious and stuff like that. They all have, you know, hyper realized CGI effects that are in them, right? I don't think you can achieve this in the same way because you are able to make that hard difference, that stark contrast of fake Mima in real world plane yeah. and Rumi in the yeah. mirror mm-hmm. looking that way, right? That, that to me is such a, such a really interesting way to represent what's happening and it hits because it looks the same. Yeah. Right. I think that that's the real big difference is that like, if you're talking about like, uh, modern effects in some way, when things are noticeably different, because as good as CGI looks and as good as modern effects look, they are obviously
0: yeah, not real life. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. In the, In different ways that practical effects are right. But this is a medium where these two things are existing in the same plane. And that for me just goes the extra mile in making sure that moment. Yes. You know,
0: we were talking about this in the filming while they struggle. So, uh, fake Mima Rumi decides that she's going to kill Mima once and for all. That's why she's brought her back to the apartment. Right. So, uh, she, uh, she grabs Mima and throws her down to the bed and she's going to stab her with the murder weapon, which is this, basically this ice pick. Right. And Mima in the struggle starts choking Rumi from below. And again, this is exactly what you're talking about. This is, I'm going to segue this right into Marvel is anime, right? We can start talking about (laughs) this already. Right. So (laughs) Mima is choking Rumi. And because animation is just the medium, spread out right this is all drawings right it's just drawings on drawings on drawings when she's choking Rumi, the fake mima image transforms in front of your eyes in the course of like a second from fake mima glowing white skin like again lit by these ethereal lights that don't really exist yeah perfect face she warps over the course of like just a handful of frames into Rumi's face and skin color right and yeah. you could do this stuff with 3DCG. You can. And I I actually think that 3DCG and anime share this benefit. Or as long as they're the same medium in, in continuity. Right. right. It's it's more believable. But this is my Marvel is anime thesis is the stuff that makes you pop about Marvel films. Think about Endgame. Right. Yeah. The entire climax of the movie of Endgame. Right. <laughs> is mostly 3DCG. Right like there's moments where you're seeing actors and their faces and, and stuff, their face. But, right. But it's mostly 3d CG. That is it. Like, yeah. I Th- mean, Thanos yeah. is basically entirely 3d CG. I know that Joss Brolin is acting or whatever, but right. Right. It's not Joss Brolin on screen. It's this, this 3d creature. And I think that's a lot of the reason that people like those movies is the reason why they like anime is it. It has embraced this idea that. In order to get the most bombastic action and crazy visuals, they're going to abandon the the physical realm, the real realm, and just keep everything locked in this um, this fictionalized rendering, whether it be hand drawn, whether it be computer animated, whatever. Right? They're going to keep right. that continuity. So,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I loved this scene. I think this scene is this scene is where this movie hits for me um you know that like like that lycanthropic metamorphosis yeah. uh, almost where she's transforming into a beast yeah right and it's like you know it's not just about turning a pretty woman into an ugly woman yeah. right it's about showing the delusion yeah it's about representing the that overly extreme psychosis that is like it's not enough for you to see Rumi and to make the connection that oh well she's got like a like she's detached she's like disassociated she thinks she's somebody else it's completely different to see that scene of she is literally transforming and it is being represented as it's Happening in front of the character's eyes. Yeah. And I think that too. Goes a really long way to represent the mania that has really struck Mima. Yeah. Because it's not only that Rumi is transforming in some way for the viewer. Right. This is Mima's perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's being attacked by both this perfect representation of who she, of the perfect pop idol Mima while simultaneously being attacked by somebody that is also unhealthily obsessed with her. Yeah. And
0: it's, I mean, it wouldn't, if it would not be the same scene, it would be much to its detriment. If it was just Rumi in a dress chasing her around. Right. Yeah. It it is important that it is this delusion of her idealized self through Rumi's eyes that is chasing her. When she, she falls, she jumps to a nearby roof. Right. And it's this, brutal like it's not it's not like gory or anything but it's this brutal she just slams onto the roof and it's painful and then the idealized version of Rumi of mima just kind of glides down like a fairy right and she's like you don't even you
1: don't even see what Rumi's
0: actually doing in that moment exactly she's like hop skip and jumping and chasing her and she has this airy lightness to her and you see later in reflection as she's chasing her that it is Rumi. But and she's like huffing and puffing and actually running after her. But that's not what's chasing Mima. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's 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 the culmination of everything the film has been working towards.
1: Yeah. And I think that. Obviously, whenever whenever I knew that we were going to be doing this, I intentionally avoided trying to look up too much about it because I didn't want to have anything spoiled because I didn't want to lose the integrity of what we're doing here with it. Right. But what I can tell you is that everybody talks about the rape scene. That's yeah. like the only thing that people talk about with this film, because obviously it was it's going to stand to be the most controversial thing about it. But um, that for me, that doesn't even take center stage. Right. That was that. Like, I think that that is definitely like the beat. That really starts the string pool on Mm -hmm. this whole thing for a lot of these characters. It's almost like the thing that kicks off the downward spiral of the rest of the film. Um, But I think that it's I think that it's done in a very um, a very purposeful way to make sure that you are understanding the perspective of Mima. How even though she seems like she's game for it, how much it is affecting her. The mental trauma that it puts her through and then you finally see this thing this scene where she goes into her room and she's like she breaks down she's like a fucking course I didn't want to do it I just had to do it because all these people have been supporting me for so long and I owe it to them to be a successful actress
0: it's worth let's bring this up so what we're talking about is literally a rape scene it is being filmed for the fictional tv show that she is take she is acting in right and right Uh,
1: unforgettable assuming you've seen the film unforgettable five minutes it
0: is still the most upsetting part of the film for me and i'm actually i'm actually going to disagree on you here with you here but i i totally see your point i think it's maybe a difference in the cultural understanding because it's sure it's a very important scene for me because uh, the the show goes over this because her own reflection tells it to her. Her her delusion of the real Mima, the the really the fake Mima, but the yeah. the side of her that she's supposedly suppressing. Idols, I talked about this last time. Are view they they are basically selling sex to socially awkward men, right? Yeah, they're selling the guys a, of purity. They're they are selling this idealized fictional wife or girlfriend or whatever that is abjectly pure she is different from the i'm I'm generalizing here but the, whatever i'm not an expert uh from the disgusting 3d women right that yeah, right are are real people right yeah right mm-hmm. and the rape scene is i think it's it's doubly traumatic first of all i can't watch that scene without tearing up it's 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 so interesting to me too that she there is an actual rape attempt on her life later and maybe this is just me being a man but i think the way that they're filming the rape scene is shown so much more traumatically right almost it it might be just that i'm confusing too that like in in the later fight with me mania where he does try to rape her it's like blunt and over very quickly whereas they just kind of linger on the filming a lot but yeah It's doubly traumatic because obviously, I mean, by the end of the filming, she's literally spacing out. It's like she's leaving her body. Right. Yeah. Mm. But. Culturally. This is the death of innocence, not for Mima, the person, which it is. The the death of innocence Mm -hmm. for Mima, the person is her being literally traumatized by having to act this out and her spacing out and flashing back to being in Cham and all this kind of stuff. But Mima, the character. Is done. She is no longer pure. Her reflection tells her you're a dirty woman. She nothing even happened to her. Yeah, it she just literally is just the filming. a filming scene, right? But she is now a dirty woman, and we see mania in the store ripping up all the copies of the magazine, going over her. like her yeah. interview, talking about it, right? Right. And the fans mm. are saying all oh, all the Mima fans must be crying, saying that's not the real Mima. It's an act.
1: Yeah, you know and I mean, yeah, right. And it's, it's, it's we talk about this in our personal lives all the time, but in our personal conversations, like this strange parasocial relationship that people have with entertainers, that it that is like an acceptable topic of conversation to have. It's like, oh, all the Mima fans must be crying because their pure, yeah. you know, like perfect little idol was had acted in a scene, right. That depicted this traumatic, you know, sexual assault. And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. Like what the context of that is. It doesn't matter that it's a film. It doesn't matter that it's a movie. It doesn't matter that nothing really happened. Right. It's my Mima. Yeah. Has done this to me.
0: Yes, exactly. Like me. Mania yeah. makes that part of his driving motivation of you're not the real meme. Yeah. She the in their final confrontation, he has his he has his idol, his his idol of worship, like beyond the she, she has he has the actual person pinned to the ground. He says uh you're, something to her, like basically you're uh, I'm, I have to kill you for the real me marine. And Mima's like, but I'm Mima. And he has this moment like it, there is a pregnant pause there where he thinks about it. he's like, no, you're not the real Mima. Right. Yeah. Like. Right.
1: It's and we would later find out that this was Rumi pretending to be Mima, of course. Yeah, but it's
0: because uh, he so uh, Rumi in her in her Mima persona in fake Mima has been sending emails to Mima trying to bait, goad him into uh, killing Mima for her. Right.
1: Yeah. And he and finally this, acts on it. Yeah. And there's this really like I referenced it earlier, but there's this really great scene of him at his computer yeah getting an email from her and he's got like it shows him the shot is him behind like sitting at the computer it's like behind his back he's got all these posters of Mima on the wall and they all start talking to him at the same time and it's again this very like surreal horror yeah. moment he, of like it's just really you speedy, see breezy. his
0: lips moving as he's reading the email to himself but it's Mima's voice Mima's that comes voice. out yeah. Right. And all the posters in the room and later even a full blown delusion of her hugging him and like being in his like you're the only one I can rely on. And she literally
1: leans on him. The delusion yeah. of her does. Right. Well, well, this is this is the thing that like I think is really interesting about that fake Mima as we've been as, as we've been calling it is that it, it appears to it appears to and in in different ways. Um, with multiple characters, you know what I mean? Like it's something that appears to Mima whenever, like we said, Rumi is chasing her whenever she's having these like hallucinations of that version of herself, the fake Mima, it appears to me mania, right? It appears. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that really goes to communicate for me, like, you know, it, like you said, it doesn't matter that this is a real person, right? It It does not matter because, the idea of Mima can be whatever you want it to yeah. be. And, yeah. and, and the, the product itself reinforces this for these people, right? Because yeah. we see in the beginning of the movie, they're singing that song and the lyrics and the subtitles were all about like, Hey, if you want love, come and get it. Yeah. You have to be aggressive. If you want to come get this love. Yeah. Right. Well, also too, to the, the
0: movie agrees with you because it's it's like, is there a how does Mima end up back on stage with Cham when she's in the photography session? Is it a mass hallucination? Because the audience screams Mima Right. And we have the hallucination right. of her on stage. So it's it's this intentional like it, it we're going to transition because I want to talk about the the bait and switches, the waking up in bed over and over again. Yeah, but, um, it's 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 trying to mess with you
1: like yeah i know
0: this can't be real but something is happening
1: right yeah i mean you you start to i mean like i i even like i'm looking at my notes and i even wrote down at one point i was like i don't even know what's actually happening at this point right yeah and like not in a bad way right like i don't want to give you the impression that it's like you know i was lost or had you know i was just like oh i fucking have no idea what's happening it's it's like i don't like I really don't even know it's real in the way in in, in, like for the reasons that you want to be saying that you are intentionally in the dark about, you you have been kept
0: in the dark intentionally as to what is real and what isn't, as opposed to just being poorly written.
1: One thing, one scene that I love too is that um, and speaking of that real quick before we transition is that um, there's is part of, is part of those scenes. Right. And I'm sure we'll get to this. But there's a there's a part where like the entire cast and crew on the set are clapping. Yeah. And they're applauding her. And I love this scene. And this is this is like part part of part of that for me where it's just like. She's the only person not clapping. Yeah. Right. Even Rumi is applauding. Yeah. Rumi, the one who was like, you don't have to do this scene. The yeah. one who was like, you don't have to degrade yourself. Rumi is plot And she's the only person. And like you said, she looks weary. She looks like absolutely drained. And it you can tell that she's internalizing it as like they're applauding her pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. saying thank you, you know, like congratulations you fulfilled your role, right? Yeah. You deg- you put yourself through this for our enjoyment and our entertainment. Yeah. I think it's a really cool scene.
0: And and she, at this point she she doesn't know what's real in a dream. Like so we'll we'll jump right into it, but the the first thing that comes to my mind with this is she's looking at the my, Mima's room blog and says, "I guess I went to Harajuku today." She yeah. doesn't know what she did that day. She's basing it off of what got posted on the blog. She is supposedly not writing. Right? right. Right. And the movie does these things like with that scene with the clapping. But it, the movie starts out with just little hints of delusion. Right. But as Mima becomes more and more traumatized by her circumstance, the number one catalyst being, I think, the rape scene, the filming yeah. of the rape scene for the TV Definitely. show. Mm-hmm. Right. She's starts to actively dissociate from reality. She begins seeing delusions of the fake Mima. She uh has several episodes where she literally stops being able to distinguish between dreams and reality. She Uh, goes to visit her former bandmates in cham ends up chasing a delusion of Mima down the hallway and gets hit by a truck driven by me mania except oh no I've woken up in bed did that really happen she then proceeds with her day of filming well but real quick go ahead
1: and I I love that in between those you hear the director going take two yes exactly
0: so it's it's she goes for her day of filming but then again wakes up in bed and the movie just starts really really quickly tapping you like this isn't real this isn't real this isn't real this isn't real and you start to as the viewer like Chris said in his notes right like I have no idea what's happening anymore (laughs) right yeah right there's there's referential stuff in between like with Mima practicing her lines that transition from like she's she's practicing the line who are you but she's asking the question from the previous scene of some anonymous creeper might be looking into her house all day right yeah and right. you get the take two line you get all these things it eventually comes to a head one of this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie uh right before the applause the wrap of shooting Mima wakes up in bed and uh This is this is before, I think, the murder of the photographer, but she wakes up in bed and she's just had an episode where she believes that she was filming and she she wakes up and her co-star taps her on the shoulder and says, can you tell me your name? And we immediately jump cut. I think I think she was talking to Rumi in the room before. She's like, I I can't remember if you were here yesterday or not.
1: Yeah, right.
0: She taps her on the shoulder. And Mima turns around, and we've completely shifted scenes. She's no Mm -hmm. longer in her room. She's no longer like losing track of time. She's speaking to her co-star that plays this kind of uh, like the detective, yeah, detective, sort of investigator, yeah, Yeah. some something. She's she's trying to figure out who's doing the murders in the TV show, and she's talking to Mima, and she is no longer the co-star. She is this character and she's saying can you tell me your name and mima says well my name is mima kirigoe and she's in her hospital gown in this room and the investigators from the show are looking in and i'm an i'm a pop idol oh sorry no i'm an actress right yeah and the investigators kind of go into the interrogation room away from her eyes and they're like well the original personality of whoever she was is not there she thinks She's Mima Goe, and she's this actress and she came up with this story to protect herself from when she really got raped in this strip club. And this is, this is all just a drama show to her. Right.
1: It, it is quite literally for me, like it got me. Right. Yeah. Cause I was like, nah. Yeah. Right. And I, <laughs> I think I even said it when it was happening. Yeah. I was like, nah, dude, yeah. no way. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that like, but yeah, well, finish finish the scene and then
0: yeah so basically it then plays back the scene and it turns out that it was filming and mima didn't say any of that stuff she she didn't say her name was mima kirigoe she didn't say she was an actress the the scene plays out as it was intended to be filmed with her revealing that her on-screen character killed her sister or something And is like she thinks she's her sister. She thinks she's a model, right? Then we rap and then we get the clapping, like, yay, the filming's over, right? And like Mima is still traumatized. But yeah, you're you're touching on something exactly here. It's like the final straw, right? It's like, please stop
1: fucking with me. Like, what is real and what is not? Well, and it's it's that thing of like there's this cool feeling whenever that starts unfolding, and you're like, it's almost like an an, an, an aha moment, yeah. right? It's like it's almost like an I knew it. And this yeah. is why you knew it, right? Because you've seen these movies before. You've watched CSI. Yeah. You've seen Criminal Minds. You know how this works, right? You've se- You've seen Psycho, right? Yeah. You know how people can disassociate, right? Yeah. Like, of course it was a ruse the whole time people like david fincher make these movies all the time what's yeah. in the box yeah. Yeah. right and then you're like yep it's one of these and then no it isn't and you're yeah. just like fuck yeah right i like, thought it's... i finally figured it out yeah yeah and i think that like for me i i think about you know what he was going for in this yeah and like i'm just imagining him being like I'm gonna put what everybody thinks is gonna happen in as one of these.
0: Right. I, I, I wonder about that because I think about the show to that point, because that that very may well be true. And what I really appreciate about that is the show spends so much time talking about the premise of double bind, which is yeah, there is a person, there is a killer that It has two personas that they might not know about the other one and the persona, the illusion has possessed somebody. Right. And they they are now acting as a second person committing these murders. And when they present Mima in the medical room, it's like oh, Mima really was internalizing this. It th- They were always just describing what was happening in Mima's head. Mima does have two personalities. Mima does like want to be this model. That's why she kills and skins models, which is what the person in a show does,
1: right? Well, I mean, th- and this is not even a trope that's exclusive to stuff like this, right? Like Wes Craven's New Nightmare, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite horror films of all time, And was like his last Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Well, (laughs) it was supposed to be his last Nightmare on Elm Street movie, right? That he was involved in. Um, That's the whole point of the film, right? The whole point of the film is that, well, what if Freddy was real? And what if he was a manifestation of all of us acting in these movies for so long, right? And it becomes this thing of like you as the viewer are watching all of these people in real life, bring this thing to manifestation. And sometimes you can't tell what's real and what's not. And like, you think that you're watching new nightmare, but really it's just a hallucination that, you know, um, that, that she's having where she thinks she's on the original set of nightmare on Elm street again. And it, it toes that line a little bit, not as well as perfect blue, but it is a, it's something that exists in other places. Nowhere has it got me as good as perfect. Blue? <laughs> yeah.
0: Cuz it in it, it's it's interesting too cuz like in so many other things I feel like something like this would be annoying or it's like okay like you're just you're going way too far. She's woken up in bed too many times. But it yeah. never ceases to grab you cuz I don't think I I think the movie prepares you very well by that point to to be ready to lose your own grip on reality
1: right yeah i, I th- mean you've uh, for me i i had i had at that point and that that moment felt like uh like a reprieve like yeah. i was like we got it yeah this is it you know we it's finally and then it's just like mm, nope right and it's like that again pushes that feeling of mania again for me because you start to feel like you're fucking yeah. you're you it, know like yeah oh
0: crazy it's, it's an interesting through line because like we like to imagine that there is like a straight line truth right there is this somewhere in the universe there is a straight blue line drawn on a piece of paper that is perfect blue and it's what we get is we're looking at a part of the line from a skewed angle that mima is looking at a different part of the line from a different skewed angle And other characters are then poking parts of the line, right? Like everybody is an imperfect like narrator, so to speak, of this movie, right? Right. Like there is something that is really happening, but it's never presented to us holistically.
1: Well, and that's that is top down. I mean, that is it permeates everything about this film, right? That is the same thing as, you know, the two sides of the same it's two sides of the same coin thing between me, mania and Rumi, right? Mm-hmm. It's this obsession and this infatuation with the idea of a pop idol. And it's the same exact coin, but on one side of it, you have the obsessed fan on the other side of it. You have the um, obsessed former pop idol that, you know, for whatever reason, wants to be back there or, you know, considers Mima as like, you know, that she used to be Mima and you know that, because that's how, that's really how, like, how I internalized the Rumi thing was that I took it as like Rumi is motivated by the fact that she tried to transition into being an actress out of a pop idol. And because she was not willing to do the things that Mima was willing to do, she never became as big of a star and i think that when you know and i might be totally off base here but just when when i started noticing a lot of the ways that the agents and the directors and the writers and the filmmakers and the people mostly the men that were involved in these productions whenever she would agree to do something right it was Oh, you will. Oh, great. Oh, fantastic. This is going to be excellent for you. You're going to you're going to be a more focal point in the story. Right. You know, all you have to do is just act in this rape scene. Right. Like I took that as she was willing to do those things because she had all of this personal anxiety over a self-identity crisis and she also cared so much about these other people that brought her to where she was with her career that she felt like she owed it to them while simultaneously she had to do it if she was to ever actually kill you know uh uh the 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 image of the pop idol that she was so i look at this like rumi at some point as a former pop idol trying to transition into the actress Uh, sphere obviously was unsuccessful in doing so because now she is a talent agent I think this really comes from this place of Rumi was never willing to do the things that uh that uh, Mima was and is willing to do in this film and she sees all this attention that she's getting and even at the end of the film like towards the end of the film the one guy says to Rumi when like he's leaving and she's like well you know it has a couple a couple you know touchy scenes scenes, but what can can you do double risky scenes but you know what can you do right so all that it took was making that transition from pop idol to truly like adult star in a lot of ways that i think Rumi wasn't willing to do with her career and never made it far because of that as a like a motivating factor for her
0: i that's an interesting theory the way i always thought about it was that mima uh mima represented Rumi. Holding on so Rumi, in my mind, always wanted to be a pop idol and never wanted to transition away, but was basically just she is never popular enough and like just getting older right like yeah, you can't mm. sell Rumi to these horny young men right yeah so right. I think that when Mima moves on and tarnishes her own image, she kind of spits in the face of what Rumi looked at right right, yeah and she can't handle it like no you were this you are perfect right you were my ideal of what a pop idol is and you're just ruining it and i can't let you do that right Right. so but that's that's part of the fun of these types of movies is like because they're so non-linear in a way right like you can you can look at them in
1: so many different ways well this is one of the things that you like we go but like i'm gonna call back to here of like you know you've brought up christopher nolan before like i I don't think you get memento without perfect blue no you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like and i'm not saying that he would have never like I, i don't even know if christopher nolan's ever fucking seen this movie but so i'm certainly not saying that without perfect blue christopher nolan never makes memento but what i'm saying is is like I think that concepts and the way that they come up within film and mediums and stuff, they always start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And this feeling of we want to put the viewer in this mental space of not even really being sure how to uh, grasp their own reality watching this show, right? Um, I think this is a very like pure representation of that. Like I said, it it got me more than most stuff. And I think it was because I think it's because of the medium. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't want to harp like too much on that because like, obviously this is king of the show and I don't want to be like, you know, Oh, everything is awesome. Right. Yeah. But like, I think that's the point of this whole thing. Right. Like there are things that you can get out of this that are, specifically able to be derived because of the medium yeah.
0: right well i mean i think that there's so much to talk about you uh, you could write theses about you can write theses about a lot of movies but you could write a thesis about this movie like we haven't touched it at all even i'm on like just good movie shit like the symbolism of the movie right after the rape scene she's in wardrobe and she's sitting at a table and only the light on her station is out because she's lost her innocence. Right. Yep, he goes straight right. from she's blacking out and she's hallucinating about Chan to like, she's sitting in a corner in shadow, right? Like yeah. there's, there's symbol the Tetra fish I was talking about. There's only two left and every other Tetra fish is dead. Like it's a little on the nose, right? But yeah, there's, right. there's so much good shit to talk about with the movie, but that's kind of what I was hoping to get across with this shill is like and I know we talked about this in the mini-sode uh, introducing the anime arc, but there's, I think, a disconnect that people, at least in our country, get programmed, pre-programmed for. It's just like my dad. I I have tried to get my dad to watch this movie, and his response is just, I don't watch cartoons. And it's like, <laughs> you've seen this movie 40 yeah. times done yeah. worse, and just because it's drawn, you don't want to watch it, right? Right, right. So. I, what I wanted to get across was like t- a couple things. Like, first of all, just that there is a wide variety of content under the umbrella of anime, right? Even if you don't like, I mean, like I keep saying DBZ, there's so much more than DBZ, but even if you don't like DBZ, you don't like like uh, One Piece, Black Clover, all these like shounen animes, you don't like the cute girl anime shows. There is stuff here made for you, right? There's, yeah. there's, there's great content there. And the second thing I wanted to get across was, which I think I think we're, we're getting there. We're, we're either getting there or we're there, of the medium is itself such an important part of its identity because absolutely. you can have these... Exp- like, the, the idea of... So like, Satoshi Kon just made a movie. The way that things are framed and cut the transitions between scenes, you could see this as a live-action movie in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. But then you get to... The way that fake Mima Trape's is about right, this whimsical fairy-like thing. The way the the strangling scene is like one of the most jarring examples of this, where the, just the the instant transformation back to Rumi because the facade is fading because she's strangling Rumi, right? Yeah, the medium is such a part of the storytelling. This isn't even a terribly great example. We could watch something like Akira, right? And Akira is a great example of a movie where. The medium is part of the forefront of it. But I mean, we talked about this even just like recently. I was just I showed you uh, I was watching uh, Lupin the Third and the Castle of Cagliostro, which is a movie by Hayao Miyazaki, but not Studio Ghibli. Right. Right. And I just sent you this scene. I was like, "Look at this car chase dude." and like the it's just satisfying to see the animation done in this way. the way the car swerves on its suspension. it does not exist right like well
1: again like i th- I mentioned this before, and I think that this is I think that the way that I internalize that is that you can achieve these things because you, as the viewer, understand that it's not real, yeah. And so you really have no permanence on that at all. You could you could look at a drawn car, right? But you're never, it, you know, that kind of stuff, right, is like the that car chase scene. Cars don't like bounce up and down the way that those ones do in yeah. that scene whenever they're like, you know what I mean? That yeah. just doesn't happen, right? So there's this, even though it's depicting real life things, a car chase in the mountains, stuff that you see in action movies all the time, right? Even though it's depicting these real life things, there's still those small differences and those things that you subconsciously know are off. So I think what people do in those micro uh, instances and like the when you're watching this scene that I I think that you're filling in the blanks of what is yes. off about those mm-hmm. things. Right. And you're sort of contextualizing it for yourself Uh, Like, why is that car chase satisfying to watch? Well, it's satisfying to watch because it's like, you know, the the scenery is really pretty. It's just a really interesting way to represent that sort of action scene that is not the same exact thing as watching it in the Italian job. Right. Where you you've seen a Mini Cooper before. You know what Mini Coopers look like racing around the streets. Right. Right. But this is not a real car, right? This is somebody's like this is somebody's manifestation of what they think this scene would look like. Yeah,
0: I I think it's part of it, too, is like storytelling by symbolism. So like the great example of this cartoon meat, you know what I'm talking about, the meat on the bone. Yeah, no, no meat anywhere looks like that yeah but does right. that not look delicious right yeah. it's just <laughs> yeah it, right. you've never seen anything like that before probably where that bone is that big and that meat is so perfectly red and round right right but right. it looks delicious it's it's the idea like you said that your brain is filling in it, it's it's internalizing symbols and imperfections and translating the pure intention as opposed to you get like taken taken one or two or whatever that scene where he goes over a fence and there's like 20 jump cuts but of just him going over the fence right yeah exactly it's it's it it speaks to a this this sounds really self-important so i apologize (laughs) but i think it speaks to a more pure and innocent part of the brain right that's like it's just the way you're interpreting symbol it's not it's not like it's not a f- hyper or photorealistic thing imposing something on you
1: right yeah yeah exactly right like there's there's real there's no real like there's no real world analog to draw from that you know your brain is subconsciously like like you said just like pasting over what you're yeah. seeing right mm-hmm. like yeah i think that's what that that that's what's really interesting about this because again i said like like i mentioned before I mean, I'm coming from a place mainly of like DBZ. Like, I know about yeah. the existence of stuff like this, right? But I don't think I was quite prepared for just like how good of a movie it was going to be. Yeah, for well, sure. spoilers. I guess let's let's ask the question:
0: uh, Did the shill work?
1: Oh fuck yeah, dude! Okay. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, I this, think it was obvious from the tone of the conversation. Yeah. But. Um. I mean. I definitely like I, I want to I really want to watch this again. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think that there's a lot of stuff that I probably didn't notice and pick up on some of the stuff that you pointed out to me after we were done watching. Right. Like the Rumi's reflections. Right. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Some of that metaphorical stuff that I haven't picked up on that I'd really like to go back and watch. But speaking about it from purely like, is this a good movie? And do I now grasp some of what you mean by like, what do you mean you don't watch anime? Yeah. Right. I think about things I mentioned this earlier, like seven, I think about yeah. things like, you know, in that same franchise of movies, along came a spider, right? These very general sort of like thriller, psychological horror, you know, whether they're based around true crime or whether they're based around like supernatural shit going on, right? You don't. I did not expect to find something that was as good as something like seven that was, you know, as interesting to me as something like silence of the lambs, right. Mm -hmm. In this, in this medium, right. I know that this is based on a book, but like you said earlier in the episode, there was so much about it that was changed. Really only the general pillars were, yeah, were kept intact. Right. And it's just a really fucking good movie. Like if you, if you like, and if you, if you enjoy these really raw sort of um, um, metaphorical, like psychological thrillers, that's exactly what this is, right? Yeah. Uh, I that's mean, how I would classify it.
0: This is the kind of movie that, like, the, the ending of the film. This is an entire movie about losing your sense of self, right? Yeah. And she roomies in a mental institution and uh, Mima is now a successful actress and she's walking out and the nurses say amongst themselves like they're like whispering, there's no way that's the real Mima Kiri go What would she be doing here? And one's yeah. like, oh, it must be a lookalike. And she gets in the car and turns the rearview mirror to her face, showing her real reflection for the first time. She's like, nope, I'm the real me. Right. It's like yep. this. It's just complete self-aware like reflection on a single theme right if you like those kinds of movies it does not matter that this is drawn
1: right definitely not and and two i think i think a lot of the barrier for people will be subtitles oh yeah i think that but like i think that what is so good about how this movie is just naturally right. And I know this wasn't a concerted effort like, well, we've got to make this work with the subtitles, right? That wasn't, that's not what I'm saying. But I think because of just the movie that it is the time period, the type of animation, their budget, what they were able to do with it. I was able to consume so much of the visuals while being able to read the subtitles, because again, back to this thing of less is more, it's very, it's very pleasing to look at in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. And um, the art style is reserved enough where it like really sort of just like highlights the important things that you need to see. And I think that's a lot easier than watching something like Dragon Ball Z, where there's a million things flying around the screen at one time. And you're also having to read this dialogue that they're shouting at each other. Yeah.
0: Well, this is we'll talk about this on a mini sode, but this is that you're entering immediately into the one of the hottest debate topics of anime culture, uh, which oh is boy. subbed versus or dubbed. dubbed. And I am subbed till I die. I know this is not a commentary on dub voice actors. It's a commentary on the whole dub industry. I find it very cringe and culturally dissident to hear English over something made in a foreign country yeah. uh and I also think so like for example this is the difference between a native Japanese speaker going like uh I'm just gonna make a uh, reference to persona because they say it all yeah. the time right sure saying like uh the main character's name is you although they don't say that in the game you senpai versus a, a literally like an American girl saying oh what's up senpai right it's like It's dissonant, right? Nobody in (sighs) English says that. So there's that. And then there's the fact that dubs, in my opinion, tend to be far more poorly acted. Again, it's not a reflection on dub voice actors. I think it's the industry. I think it's their direction. I think it's a lot of things. Yeah, sure. They are not as well acted as the original Japanese voice actors
1: in 95% of cases. So for me, for me. And again, not a commentary on dub, uh, dub actors. But for me, I, I, I enjoy subtitles with this stuff and I always have because it helps me understand the intent of what they're saying more. If I hear it in the native actor's voice, right? (laughs) Like I feel like I'm able to much like to derive intent and emotion much more easier if I'm able to hear that. And like, this is coming from somebody like I love, vegeta's dub voice actor I, like his voice is i just i love it man like i think that like for the ter- the type of character that he is i think it's perfect but um you know with something like this i think that the dialogue is so important that it is so crucial for me to get as much of the emotion out of the dialogue as i possibly can and i think I think that, you know, that you can achieve that when you do the subtitles, right? You listen to the original actor, So,
0: yeah, but that's that is a good point. Be warned. If you are going to consume more of this content, you will probably have to get used to subtitles. Uh, This is actually like, I mean, I've never had a problem with them, but this is basically as soon as I jumped off from Toonami. Right. I was already in subtitle land. I've never looked back. You just, yeah, you got to accept it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I'll be okay. I, yeah. I I think my because I play so many video games and I'm used to reading subtitles yeah. it becomes one of those things where I'm like you know, doesn't really matter. Yeah. But but it absolutely I mean I I don't think I'll we'll say it this way, right? Yawk's a hit. Yeah. Big, right? This is hitting. Yeah. Big, right? I don't even I can't even uh, like fathom what, what is up next? Because for me, like I've got preconceptions about anime and obviously I know that you're still deciding. So we're not going to announce it here or anything, but yeah. Yox exceeded my expectations. Perfect blue exceeded my expectations. I am at this point in my life, not looking at anime as a whole, the same as I was before already. So I don't know what's up next, but I'm sure it's going to be a real doozy. Yeah. I've got,
0: I've got, things in the pot and they're cooking. And I think it's going to be, I, I think you're probably going to like what I'm working on for number three, the most out of anything so far.
1: Oh, At least that's my hope. Okay. So, because so far, like I totally was, and I don't know, again, I don't know if this is a problem with me that like, we're still kind of fresh into the show and still start us starting, starting to explore a lot of these concepts where I'm intentionally setting my expectations low. I'm yeah. not, I, I'm not doing that on purpose. I don't know if I'm yeah. consciously doing it. Right. But so far, I mean, this is, again, this has been one of those things where I thought I knew what to expect with perfect blue and I got way more out of it than I thought I was going. Oh with. yeah. But that's, that's kind of the, the fun of this.
0: Right. Is like, I, yeah. I know that you're not thinking about this the way that I do. Right. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta show you the light. It's, it's, it's easy to, I mean, there's, just to say like I like anime like dude every country in the world is making their own content yeah you know what I mean right. it's 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 no wonder to me that you wouldn't necessarily get into this stuff like just like people nowadays get into k-pop and k-drama and stuff like that I don't watch any of that stuff but yeah f- for me in particular right this thing this thing right. that I like that I just happened to get into this subculture I knew that again back to the Netflix analogy right there's there's so much stuff you would hate, right? Right. (laughs) I'm not saying that you're going to like every single thing, but I've got so much here, like in my, my catalog, right? That of, I know you
1: would like this stuff. And I know I can get you to look at this a little bit differently. So well, two for two so far, and I'm fucking stoked. So, so Hey, listen, perfect blue is excellent. I thank you. I can't, I can't, I can't wait to, 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 to see what else is coming up, but yeah it was dope but listen if you haven't watched it yet and you've made it to the end of the episode congratulations for having it spoiled for you now go watch this fucking movie it's dope um and don't forget you can find all of our old episodes and as well as part one of perfect blue uh uh, at themanyfolds.com as well as on spotify apple Podcasts. tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we are on the socials at Twitter and Instagram at the many folds. Uh, so don't forget to come say hi and give us a follow there. And, uh, yeah. Any, any parting words for the people, uh, rest in peace to Satoshi Kon,
0: and please go watch all of his movies, especially paprika, and then go watch uh, uh inception and form your own conclusion <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i'll be certain to do that scott yeah. until next time yep see ya see ya king of the ship